John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open up to John chapter 1, which we've just read from, or you can grab the sheet in front of you, although um, I'll be reading a little further than the sheet goes. Um, But yeah, John chapter 1 is where we are heading in our time this morning. Um, And as you go there, I I love singing together, right? I mean, I just, I love that that's something that we do. That's a part of who we are. We gather and we sing. There's something beautiful about that. It involves our whole selves and our bodies. And so much could be said about that. And maybe we'll talk more. Um, And although when we sing, we typically sing from a screen, rather than hymnals, most of the songs that we do sing come from hymnals. Uh, In fact, most of them that we sing come from this hymnal uh, that have been turned into PowerPoints that we put on the screen. Uh, And and I love hymnals. They're wonderful, uh, you know, filled with songs of reflection and praise and so on and so forth. What a wonderful gift uh, to have, to be able to join in song together. They're wonderful, but here's the thing. Sometimes hymnals can be a great, big, confusing contradiction, right? Um, for example, one of the songs in this hymnal is one that I'm sure many of you are familiar with or, and have sung before. Uh, the song goes, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, right? Some of you know that one? All right? So that song is in this hymnal, this world is not my home. And yet, another song in this hymnal, this is my father's world. Hmm. What do we do with that? Right? Another example, right? Uh, another uh, popular song in this hymnal is I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. Right? You know that one? Probably sung it before. Pretty fun song. 
And yet another song in this hymnal goes, Jesus is coming again. Morning or noon, evening or soon, Jesus is coming again. Right? Once again, these are some different ideas that are going on, right? You see, we might enjoy one of these songs or all of these songs. Maybe there are some very meaningful and fun moments in our lives that these songs remind us of. But we can't actually believe in all of these songs, right? I mean, either this world is not my home and I'm going to fly away, or this is my Father's world and Jesus is coming again. It can't be both, right? Either we don't belong here and we're going to leave this place, or this place is something that God has created and is coming back to restore. Both of these cannot be true. One of these or the other, right? Well, today we're going to be continuing our series on being formed in the image of Jesus. Last week, we identified three movements in Jesus' life that will also be true of us as we are formed into the image of Jesus. These are incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. Right? These are, are the movements of the story of Jesus. I loved singing just a little bit ago, tell me the story of Jesus. And we sang through every one of these. His arrival at the incarnation, his going to the cross and the crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection, right? And, and we said that as we are shaped into the image of Jesus, our lives are marked by presence, by sacrifice and service, and then by divine, holy imagination, transformation filled with creativity and hope, right? As these things take shape in our life. Well, this week and the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time reflecting specifically on incarnation. The presence of God with us and our call to be present as well. And I believe that as we reflect on the incarnation, we may get some clarity on the tension at the heart of these hymn lyrics. And to do that today, we'll begin with John chapter 1, uh, which we've already read the start of, but I'll just read a few more verses as we continue this morning. John chapter 1, I'll begin in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. The word that we have in Scripture and the word that was in the beginning and has come to dwell among us. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your Scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the opening of John chapter 1 is this beautiful, poetic, many consider it to be a kind of early Christian hymn. Uh, that may have been sung or said by the early church. Um, it, it is rich with deep theology and spirituality as well. I, I'm so glad that we'll be dwelling in this passage for the next few weeks. Uh, there is so much to contemplate and reflect on in these beautiful words. I encourage you perhaps to even spend some time in this passage at home. Uh, during the week, uh, continue to reflect on it and look for, you know, what stands out to me? What's stirring in my heart? What's piquing my curiosity? And bring those things to our dwelling time. I look forward to hearing more. See, these words from the start of the Gospel of John are beautiful and they're powerful. And they also speak into things that would become very messy in the centuries that followed their writing. You see, already in the very first century, the letters of Paul and John warn of false teachers who would come and make confusion about who God is, who Jesus is, what it means to follow him. And throughout the first few centuries of Christianity, many, many false teachings abounded, and most of these revolved around the identity of Jesus, who Jesus is. One of these was the denial that Jesus was really God. Some believe Jesus was perhaps a, a spiritual being of some sort, like the angels, and that like the angels, he was created by God, perhaps even created first before other spiritual beings. Those who believed and taught this were not trying to be anti-Jesus. Um, they admired Jesus. They listened to his teachings and sought to follow him. But no matter how highly they might have esteemed Jesus, he would always be to them just another created thing. Even if it was a created thing with wise and true words of God, he would be nothing more than like the Old Testament prophets 
or like the angels, Gabriel and Michael, who appear to God's people. But He would be created nonetheless. Not the true God who had come to save God's people. And of course, these kinds of beliefs live on today in pseudo-Christian sects like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism. And of course, there are plenty of folks today who might consider Jesus to be a wise teacher or prophet, but don't believe that he's God, right? And so to this, to these ancient false teachings that still abound today, the opening of the Gospel of John unambiguously tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And who exactly is this Word who is in the beginning. Well, it's the Son of the Father whose name is said in verse 17. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus was in the beginning with God. He is God. To those who would teach that He was created by God, even if He was created first among all things, the Gospel of John continues. Through Him, all things were made. There is nothing that has been made that was not made through Him. Right? Through Jesus, all things were were made. Nothing that has been made was made without Him. Which is to say, He has not been made. He has always been. Jesus is not created. He has eternally existed with the Father. He was with the Father in the beginning, and with the Father created all things. This is who Jesus is. So from the very start, the Gospel of John is beautifully and poetically swatting away ancient false teachings. It's like a beautiful poetic whack-a-mole bringing clarity to what followers of Jesus believe about Jesus. So the denial of Jesus as God was one false teaching that the opening of the Gospel of John speaks to right from the start. But there's another false teaching that was rampant in the first few centuries that were also much more insidious, namely because they seemed far more spiritual. Regarding the identity of Jesus, This other false teaching did not deny that Jesus was God, but rather denied that Jesus was truly human. One version of this said that Jesus was truly God, but only appeared to be human, right? Like some sort of ancient spiritual hologram or something. Um, Another version of this suggested that there was God the Son who did not become human, but rather just joined himself to a human named Jesus. 
Uh, like some sort of, you know, instead of demon possession, it's God possession or something, right? Uh, these were false teachings in the early centuries of the church. And all of these false teachings about Jesus as not truly human stem from an ancient ideology called Gnosticism. All right? Uh, just try, stick with me here. Gnosticism. This comes from a Greek word, gnosis. Gnosis, uh, which means knowledge. Because this ideology envisions salvation as ultimately an accumulation of secret wisdom or knowledge. Uh, salvation is seen as learning more and knowing more and, and, and all of that. At the heart of Gnosticism is the idea that spiritual, immaterial realities are inherently good, while physical Material realities are inherently evil. This was what made Gnosticism what it was. Uh, to put it more softly, it was this belief that spiritual, immaterial things are important and physical, material things are unimportant. One modern theologian goes on to describe that Gnosticism rejects the incarnation, believing instead that Jesus only appeared to be a man, right? We already talked about that. Um, another example, because of its rejection of all things physical, Gnosticism believes that salvation consists of the escape of the soul, the immaterial aspect, of human nature from the body. The body in this ideology is like a prison in which the soul is confined. So salvation is the soul casting off the chains of imprisonment and breaking out of the body. Right? This is how ancient Gnosticism functioned. Um, material things are not good. And so we want to be free of them. We want to get away from them. We want to accumulate as much non-material knowledge and ideas and wisdom as we possibly can. And you see, like other false teachings, this one also lives on today. But unlike the other ones, denying Jesus as God, which mostly exist outside of the church, this one because it just feels so spiritual, has tended to live on inside the church. Gnosticism lives on when we believe things like the good news of the gospel is about us essentially going off to heaven someday, rather than the good news of the gospel being that Jesus has come to save us and restore us and redeem and renew the world. Gnosticism lives on in songs like, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. It lives on in songs like, I'll fly away, O glory, right? My soul will escape the chains of this body. It's just Gnosticism all over again. This world is ultimately evil and bad, 
Material things are ultimately bad, or at least unimportant. What really matters is getting out of this material place. But to this ancient false teaching, which has lived on among us today, the opening of the Gospel of John tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The spiritual, eternally existing Word not appeared like flesh, not joined itself to flesh, but actually became flesh and dwelt among us. Something like this would be utter foolishness to the ancient Gnostics. But John makes it absolutely clear that this Jesus, who is God, is also truly and fully human. Flesh and blood. And that He has dwelt among us, showing us fully and truly the glory of God. Do you see how this changes things? This changes the way that we see the world around us. It changes the way that we see ourselves, the bodies that we live in. It changes the way that we see one another. This world is not simply something that we seek to escape. It's something that God seeks to restore. That's altogether different. This is the essence of incarnation. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. The God who has eternally existed by whom and through whom all things were created has become flesh and dwelt among us. This is essential to the story of redemption. Now, I want to put all three of these up here again. Incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection. And I want to ask you to think about something. Which of these have you most often or perhaps most closely associated with redemption? Which of these have you most closely or most often associated with redemption? My guess is that it's crucifixion. Right? He died for our sins. Our old self has been crucified with Him. Right? And this is true. It's absolutely true. It is part of the story. But what I want to show you is that incarnation is also part of the story of redemption. There could be no crucifixion if Jesus had not come as flesh and blood 
to dwell among us. And his incarnation is just as much a part of redemption as crucifixion and resurrection are. We would do well to meditate on the meaning and the implications of incarnation a bit more. In fact, I believe that the the Christian doctrine of incarnation may be one of the most important doctrines for this day and age. And we'll get to that more in, in coming weeks. But for now, earlier this week, um, I had an opportunity to attend a ministry seminar down in Oregon for a couple of days. Uh, it was right in the middle of the ice storms and the snow that were going on down there, so that was fun. Um, but as I was down there, a couple of friends I know were there, and it was good to see them. There were several people I didn't know that I got to meet, but What I was most excited about was that a couple of my old college professors were speaking at this. Um, And they were just some of of the most wonderful professors, very formative people uh, for me and my education and so on. So it was wonderful to to reconnect and to hear from them again. Uh, One of them was teaching through the letter of 1 Peter. uh, And in the midst of his teaching, he paused and he asked what I thought was a very profound question. He said, you know, as a New Testament professor and teacher, he often gets the question, why did Jesus have to die? That's an important question worth pondering. But he said another question that he wants people to think about a little bit more is not simply, why did Jesus have to die? But why did Jesus have to live so long? Right? I mean, if Jesus only came to die, then why not just have him be killed by Herod when he was two years old, right? I mean, Matthew chapter 2 tells the story, Herod's hunting him down, trying to kill him. If he's just come for the purpose of dying, it's a great opportunity. Let it go ahead and happen. only takes two years. But that's not what happened. Why did Jesus live so long? The reason is because Jesus' incarnation, his life was just as necessary for our redemption as his death. Someone who has reflected very deeply and extensively on this is a theologian and church leader from the second century named Irenaeus. Irenaeus. Um, He was born in 130 AD, shortly after the time of the apostles. Uh, In fact, uh, one of the apostle John's disciples uh, was known to him uh, and commissioned him in his ministry. Uh, So he is just very shortly after uh, the writing of what we've just read um, in the Gospel of John. And he lived in a time when the ideology of Gnosticism was absolutely rampant. I mean, it was just, this was when all those different theories of Jesus, uh, you know, being not fully God or not fully human and stuff were just abounding. And Irenaeus wouldn't have it. 
he was just like, no, this isn't it. Um, and so the longest and the most important of his writings that is available is a collection called Against Heresies, in which he just kind of ruthlessly rails against the false teachings of Gnosticism in the second century. And to this day, it remains one of the most insightful reflections on the importance and the meaning of the incarnation of Jesus. Uh, and it's dense to work through, but it is beautiful. Some of the things that he touches on, the ways that he connects these broad themes from Scripture in the Old Testament to the New Testament and the life of Jesus. And this is only a little over a hundred years after they happened, less than a hundred years after the Bible has been compiled. The New Testament in particular has been written and compiled, and he's already writing treatises about it. Um, it's incredible. But his main idea is summed up in the quote, Our Lord Jesus Christ, through his transcendent love, became what we are, that he might bring us to be what he is. That's the essence of what he's written. Our Lord Jesus Christ, through his transcendent love, became what we are, that we might, that, that he might bring us to be what he is. To paraphrase, he became like us so that we could become like him. God came in human likeness so that we could once more be made into the likeness of God, so that we could be formed in his image. Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. And this is true not only in his birth or in his death. It's true of his whole life. Irenaeus wrote that he came to save all through means of himself. Infants, children, boys and youths and old men. He therefore passed through every age. He became an infant for infants, thus sanctifying infants. He became a child for children, thus sanctifying those who are of this age. He became a youth for youths, becoming an example to youths, and thus sanctifying them for the Lord. So likewise, he was an old man in his day, for old men, that he might be a perfect master for all, sanctifying at the same time the aged also, and becoming an example to them likewise. Jesus lived a whole human life so that he might sanctify and redeem our whole human lives. His incarnation, his life, is part of our redemption. You know, there's these moments in the Gospels where someone comes up to Jesus and they're unclean, right? A leper. Uh, Jesus reaches out and touches them and they're healed and become clean. 
That's basically what Irenaeus is saying. Jesus, in his incarnation, has reached out and touched our humanity. By becoming a baby, he has reached out and touched infants. By becoming a young person, he has reached out and touched to heal young people. By growing to be an adult, he has reached out and touched in order to heal those who would be adults. The incarnation is part of our redemption. Now, some of you uh, might be saying, wait, wait a second, he, he was a man, right? What about women? Right? What do we, what, what do we do with that? Well, even then, Irenaeus has reflected on how it was necessary for Jesus to be born of a woman. The incarnation began in the womb of Mary. So that the story of redemption includes both the female body of Mary and the male body of Jesus. In the incarnation, Jesus begins the redemption of the whole human race, both male and female, who were made in the image of God. He became what we are, that he might bring us to be what he is. This is good news. And it changes how we see Jesus. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see others and the world around us. This opening passage from John tells us that Jesus truly is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. It tells us that He truly is human as He became flesh and dwelt among us. And it affirms, just like Genesis, that creation, the earth, is good. God looked at it and said, it is good. All things were made by him. Apart from him, nothing was made. See, Jesus did not come to rescue us from the earth. He came to redeem us and restore the earth. To make all things new, as he says himself in Revelation. When Jesus came, he lived a full and earthy life. He pointed to birds and flowers. He pointed to seed and soil. He spoke of trees and their fruit. Because all creation declares the glory of God. This means that we can look outside and we can see God present in creation. Jesus lived his life around tables with people. He ate and he drank. This means that when we eat good food and drink good drink, we can rejoice in the goodness of God. You see, the truth is, this world is our home. This world is our home. And when Jesus returns, it will once more be truly and fully God's home as well. 
As it says in Revelation, on that day, the home of God will be with people. The home of God will be with people. This world is our home. And God is coming to heal it and restore it so that when we are raised, we will dwell with him. And so we can encounter God in and through creation. It's a good thing to go into nature, to go on walks, to see God in all of the beauty. The beauty of sunrises and sunsets, of clouds and mountains. But I want you to hear this. Though creation does declare the glory of God, Jesus did not become a bird. He did not become a tree or a cloud or a mountain. He became human. And so, look in the mirror. Look to your neighbor. Look to the person sitting next to you right now. He became what we are. That he might bring us to be what he is. When we look to one another, we see the image of God. And so let us be formed into his image as we rejoice that he has come and taken on flesh and dwelled among us. Amen.